energy storage is a game changer. And once energy storage becomes economical, it's going to be huge. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. And I'm your co-host, Lee Wang. Let's get into it. This is Benoit. Welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have my co-host, Lee Wang. I'm back. He's back. I, we haven't actually done an episode actually in two months, and we're here in our beautiful Solar Maverick studio here in Jersey City, New Jersey. Yep, the sun's pouring in the windows. It's daylight saving, so it's time to renew our spirits. <laughs> yeah, definitely renew our spirits. We're excited about the sunlight, and hopefully spring is here, and it's been an amazing run with the podcast. We've really launched it the middle of November as our yeah. first episode, and this week our 19th episode came out. Yeah, we'd like to thank all everyone for listening and being on this journey with us. Again, if you have questions for us on the podcast, if we're actually starting to have some sponsors come aboard, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Our sponsorship not only involves promoting your company or your brand at the beginning and end of the show, but we'll be doing an integrated episode where you'll be featured on a sort of a two-minute drill Q&A so listeners can learn more about your company or your brand. So, Benoit, it's been a while. Tell us what you've been up to. I know you were traveling, you know, you were in Boston and New York. Give us a recap of what you've been up to. Yeah, so again, as Lee said, we thank everyone for making us one of the most popular solar podcasts on all the major platforms and we've gotten a lot of feedback, which is great. People reaching out to us to be guests, feedback on positive and negative, how we can make the podcast better. Definitely feel free to reach out to us. Probably info at Renew Energy, R-E-N-E-U Energy is probably the best way to reach us. I apologize, like I've been getting inundated with a lot of people reaching out and I haven't responded to everyone, so I apologize that it's going to take me some time to get back to yeah, things are Yeah, things are happening. Things are growing in the business. But we will get back to all the serious inquiries and questions that we have. And we always do welcome your feedback. Tell us more about which type of content you would like more of, what we can do less of. Obviously, most of our audience is in the United States, but it's amazing. We've also built a presence internationally in Canada, Mexico, South America, Asia, Europe, Africa, the Middle East, the Caribbean as well. We have listeners in Jamaica yeah, and then as well Asia. So it's been pretty amazing to see which different countries are listening, and also Australia and New Zealand, I forgot to mention, as well, and in a lot of Europe, as well as Zimbabwe, Jordan, wow. Saudi Arabia, just to name some of the countries, Brazil, Switzerland, Greece. We have actually a huge following in Greece for the podcast, which is interesting because we're always trying to figure out from a marketing perspective how we're able to reach this audience. So Maybe it's because... We have a popular NBA player from Greece now. So. <laughs> Greece people are, you know, people in Greece. Actually, I kind of actually know how this has happened. We've actually talked to some companies in yeah. Greece about solar energy, and we okay. have actually a monthly newsletter that Lee actually helps out with. He's the founder of MJ Wang Media. He's also the director of marketing at Renew Energy. Maybe Lee, like before we go into yeah. where. What's been going on with me? Can you talk about, I know you wanted to talk about digital presence, specifically yeah. about websites. I know you've analyzed different yeah. solar websites for us to then obviously make the Renew Energy website. 
Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, one great thing I've had working with you, Benoit, is the opportunity to look at a lot of different solar and solar-related industries' websites. And the one common mistake, I'll call it a mistake, is that most of the websites I see are way too busy, meaning that they don't tell the user what to do. So I would say, just to take a step back, you know, if you're handing out your business card at a conference, how good do you feel about your website, right? That's one thing, just a basic measure, if you're really happy or if you're handing over the, your business card and muttering, well, yeah, it needs a little work, uh, you know, but uh, check us out on our website, then maybe it's time to look at revamping. But the biggest thing about websites is they can get outdated very quickly, the look, the feel. What I want to impress upon people is that the website is quite often people's first impression of a business. So it's very important. People expect good websites now. I would say the biggest mistake that people use is using bad stock photos or just cliches. Even when I was working with Benoit on his site, yeah, we have some solar panels on there, but like almost <laughs> every solar website is just kind of the cliche of the big solar panels. And you want to try to think around that a little bit. Maybe think about what your brand means. Maybe develop trust between your leadership and the people. So maybe having photos of your team that are realistic, not looking like stock images, that'll be very helpful. Even if we're, you know, we're continuing to evolve the Renew Energy website. And Benoit's been able to get a lot of natural content for his website based on his travels. But authenticity sometimes is an overused word in marketing, but it is helpful. It is good guideline, right? Are you showing your true brand? What makes you different? I always like to ask my clients these three questions. So what? Who cares? Why you? So if you can answer those questions, then you can take those answers and apply them to your marketing message. It's really helpful. But even if you are a business that is referral-based, a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I don't really get that much business from my website. You know, I get a lot of referrals and we're doing really well and we're busy. Some of those referrals may not be converting as easily, I would say, or as quickly because they are probably confused or just see your website as generic. That's across various industries. A lot of business owners, unless you're Apple or Nike, probably don't make their website their top priority because they're so inundated with day-to-day -day of their business. So I think that's key. But anyway, I can help you. There's a lot of great people who help you. But I, I would say the biggest single takeaway about your website is to simplify it and use high-quality images and make your communications message succinct because... Quite frankly, what you want the people to do with your website is to call you or email you, get in contact for business opportunities, and you don't have an FAQ about what is solar energy, what is the benefits of solar. You can talk your prospects through that in person or through email correspondence, but just give them enough reason to know why they should hire you or why they should interact with you, why they should consult with you. That's the most important aspect of a website. Get them to pick up the phone, Get them to email you. Simon Sinek, one of my favorite authors, look up the TED Talk. Start with why, right? Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Why you're different, why you're in the business, people do appreciate that. So th those are my key takeaways. Yeah, I think these are all great points and it's amazing for me. And I know I mentioned this on our previous podcast, like literally I just had a page WordPress that I created and Lee really pushed me to work with them to create the website that we have now. And it's amazing, actually, because I like it, because it's professional and it's 
pretty simple to use and easy to use. And then also, we have got a lot of people reaching out to us through the website. And it's exciting as well. We're actually working on a website for the Solar Maverick podcast. We actually have it up already. It's just kind of like a one page, but it's the solarmaverickpodcast.com. But it definitely makes a difference. I mean, we're one of the most searched when you Google solar and consulting, and it's amazing how many inquiries have come from online. So, and that wouldn't have happened if Lee didn't really push me because, as any business owner, you get so busy focusing on your work. You really should dedicate a certain amount of time, though, to like marketing and, and these different aspects that are all very important. There's always going to be client needs and engagements that come up, but really building a marketing presence and branding. Is really a huge differentiator, especially you know when there are a lot of people in the same marketplace. Yeah, and it's funny. I talk about Nike and Apple, and I was like, oh yeah, you know these are the giants, and they do a great job of branding, but they don't weren't always doing a great job of branding. But they both are companies that are started with why, right? They why Apple wanted to make. I think Steve Jobs said he wanted to make young kids and grandparents able to use his devices. He wanted that as a mission, good design, usability. And Nike always was strove for excellence, uh, wanted to be the best for athletes, right? And everyone's an athlete. So some of these mantras carry through in everything they do. And that's important. So ask yourself your day to day, why am I doing this? Why am I in solar? And there's probably a good reason. And you should capture that. Definitely. Going on to some of the other things that we're going to talk about, we haven't actually done the podcast, Lee and I haven't since the middle of January, and I've been actually on the road a little bit in Boston in early February. So you must have been shocked to come back (laughs) to the news that Odell Beckham was traded. I know know, we'll get into the heat of the podcast, but if you've been listening to us, you know that Benoit and I are big football fans. So yesterday it was announced that Odell Beckham Jr. was traded to the Browns for uh, first round pick this year, which is 17th overall, the uh-huh. third uh, round pick, and then Jabril Peppers, who was a safety, yep. who was drafted last year from Michigan. So, so if you're a football fan, you know we're in the middle of uh, the shocking <laughs> free agency news. Feel free to reach out to us about football too. So Yeah, and I'm still trying to, I don't agree with uh, trading Odell Beckham. I got so many, actually emails and texts and calls yesterday when it happened, and now we're early afternoon the next day. We'll see. It really depends on what those first and third round picks become and then how Jabril plays. But you're talking about a whole Hall of Fame wide receiver in his prime. So obviously he's had injury issues. Hall of Fame. That's early. <laughs> early uh, HOF, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, a little early, but anyway, yeah, but I, I don't disagree. It's interesting because I was actually in Boston in the beginning of February right. for Solar Power Northeast. Yeah, tell us about how it felt to be there right after the Patriots had won. Yeah, so it's interesting because like the Super Bowl literally was that night on Sunday, and then yeah. Monday through Thursday I was actually in Boston. They had the Victory Day Parade. I think it was Tuesday during the day in the morning. So some people actually weren't meeting because of the parade. I actually didn't obviously go to the parade. I'm a Giants fan. I congratulate the Patriots for another championship and it's been amazing. And obviously the city of Boston was electric because for the parade and even the evening, there were festivities going on at night. And then I love that conference, Solar Power Northeast in Boston because it's a regional conference. It's a smaller conference so you get to know people. But this year was pretty interesting because there's a lobby in the Westin where basically the conference is held and 
the lobby was so packed. They're definitely going to have to increase the venue. And if people don't know, like on the podcast, like Massachusetts has been very progressive with solar energy. And this conference was not just for Massachusetts, but the Northeast. And actually, Massachusetts is the number seven state for solar as the top 10 states. It basically has 2,319 megawatts. To give you an idea, like California is number one mm. at 23, 1,806 megawatts or 23 gigawatts. And North right. Carolina is number two at 4,671 megawatts. So Massachusetts is a great state for solar. They had this SREC 1 and SREC 2 program, which is basically a tradable commodity that incentivizes solar development. And now they have the SMART program where it's effectively a, like a 15-year feed-in tariff with the utility. So the other reason why the conference was packed was people were waiting for their alloc- what they won the bid at for their mm-hmm. projects. So there's a lot of excitement as well for other states. There is some issues with Massachusetts with finding good projects because all the good projects were developed a while ago. So there's a lot more complexity into developing these projects. The other thing too is the cues for the utility, meaning the net metering cues to be able to have these projects have been overwhelmed with so many projects potentially coming online. And basically each utility has restrictions on the amount of megawatts that could actually be interconnected. So there's some things that need to be worked out. Massachusetts was a quiet market when they were transitioning to this SREC program to SMART program. And now this is kind of the first sort of solicitation before they had like a smaller program to dictate what the SMART program allocations were going to be. So anyway, making a long story short, it was a great conference and the future looks still bright in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. I think some people ask, how come like New Jersey and Massachusetts are like the top states for solar when they don't get a lot of sunlight. But the key thing is the Northeast has high energy cost. Right. And then they have strong state level incentives that have allowed projects to be developed. So there's an investment tax credit that's a 30% credit. And then there also is accelerated depreciation, which you could depreciate the asset in five years. So on the federal level, that accounts the investment tax credit and accelerated depreciation for 50%, approximately 50% of the project. It really depends on some various other things. But then it's really important in like these states that you have strong state-level incentives. And California right. used to have a rebate incentive, but they don't have that anymore. But they also obviously get a lot more sunlight. So makes more economic sense and they have high electricity costs as well. Yeah. That was a pretty amazing trip to be in Boston. And then we actually did three podcast interviews as well. Yeah, why don't you give the listeners a preview of what the sure. coming up? By the time this episode comes out, basically those interviews will all already be online or be on all the podcast platforms. But one was with Nathan Giovanelli. He is in business development for a company called IGS Solar. They're one of the biggest asset owners of solar in the US. And he basically helped start that group. IGS is a third-party energy supplier based in Columbus, Ohio. And they have a solar group. And they're one of the biggest developers and owners of projects in the US. We interviewed as well John Che Manis. He's actually the one of the founders 
of KSI Sustainable Investments. They're actually based in Boston and they invest in distributed energy assets. And we also interviewed Lauren Carson. She's the founder and CEO of Connect Solar. So it's interesting to get her perspective. They're a distributor and they basically sell panels, inverters, and other equipment. And they also have a logistic business as well that they're actually just started actually March of this year where they're basically helping with efficiencies related to storing solar equipment. One of the big things that we're seeing this year in 2019 is basically this investment tax credit, which is a 30% credit, is going to actually decrease next year in 2020 to 26%. So to basically qualify for the 30%, you have to save harbor 5% of the construction costs. So a lot of people are using the purchase of panels Mm -hmm. to qualify for that 5% and then they need an area to store it. So this new business line that Connect Solar is doing will add a lot of value to the industry and they have a lot of experience doing this because they warehouse panels both and equipment domestically and internationally. So these are three great interviews that are coming up actually and obviously you'll hear those episodes yeah, before so if this you, one. If you missed any of those episodes, they're available anywhere you get your podcast from Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, so Spotify, yeah. iHeartRadio, Overcast. You could also go yeah. to the Renewable Energy website as well. And then we've also have the solarmaverickpodcast.com website where you could listen to the podcast on all your major podcast platforms. Yeah, so check I mean, those episodes. Actually, this is the opportunity I wanted to also we talk about how far we've come with the podcast. I wanted to shout out our producer, Kevin why Brown? <laughs> uh, Kevin is the owner of a business called uh, the podcast company that Kevin has. Yeah. He's the founder. It's called Podcast Laundry, right? And he's been tremendously helpful in helping us get this show off the ground. So wanted to just give him some recognition on our show, and we encourage others who who might be interested in starting a podcast to hit us up, ask questions. It's a great way to share information. And speaking of Benoit, I'm going to skip around here because... Just before we go that with Kevin, he actually has a very popular podcast called the Create Your Life series, which is on Sirius XM. And I was actually interviewed on one of the episodes of Create Your Life, and you could find that on your website. And he also helped us with the strategy as well. Trust me, without his help, we wouldn't be able to have this podcast and be able to do it so quickly when we came up with the initial idea after I got interviewed by Create Your Life series. It was released in September of 2018. The interview was actually in August. Then we came out with the podcast November 15th, 2018, which is pretty quick. Lee heard the podcast interview and thought it went really well. We kind of analyzed and worked with Kevin and his team on coming up with the strategy of the podcast. So yes, thank you, Kevin. Kevin's uh, website is... PodcastLaundry.com. And they basically handle all the back end work as well. So, really, Lee and I are focused on the creative part of the podcast. They help with the marketing too, and the editing and the notes, setting up the platform and the strategy. So, thank you again, Kevin. We appreciate it. So, you shared an article with me. This is Soul System CEO Yuri Horowitz, and he's giving his 2019 forecast on the solar industry. And I know Benoit actually point people in the direction if they want to read your LinkedIn article. Sure. Shout out to Yuri, the CEO of Soul Systems. Yuri and I have known each other for a long time, and he wrote a great article 
that was on GTM or Green Tech Media. It's called the Solar CEO's 2019 Forecast: More Complexity, New Investors, and Continued Growth. It came out March 1st, 2019. I actually came up with a LinkedIn article talking about the 2018 year in review and then 2019 forecast where we think there's going to be continued growth in the industry. You could find that article on LinkedIn, and I'm the author of it, and a lot of the same concepts. Yeah, you so, know that so search for Benoit Tangent's profile. Profile, and, and you'll and see and the you'll LinkedIn see the article. article on it. That's probably the best way to find it. But Benoit, you want to talk about some of what Yuri is saying here. So you talked about growth in Massachusetts, and he talks a lot about America in general and how it's a supportive atmosphere for solar in spite of the <laughs> Trump presidency's legislation limiting the solar industry. Do you agree with Yuri's assessment here? Yeah, definitely. It was refreshing to read what Yuri had to say just because a lot of these things I totally agree with and obviously I've written a piece on it. America still has our back, which he says in the thing. And it's interesting because President Trump and party are trying to repeal this 30% investment tax credit that I was talking to you about. So definitely speak to your policymakers. Solar is dependent on federal incentives to basically be successful. And that would be a huge loss to the industry and hurt the solar economy, which is one of the fastest growing sectors of the U.S. economy. So definitely speak to your representative about this. Make sure that this doesn't get passed. And it's interesting because the tariffs did impact last year. The rate of growth in solar did slow because of the tariffs that President Trump put on panels. But then we saw that prices, once the tariff was established, actually went down yeah, he uh, talks about this in the article. He talks article. about this in the article. Like we were seeing basically in the 30 cents range per watt, where pre mention of the tariff, it was around 45 to 50 cents. I was seeing more, I know he was saying, I was seeing more 43 to 45 cents per watt. And then that's due to many factors that we could go into. And then the other thing too is like the technology is getting so much better, the efficiency are improving. So you're able to get a lot more production from the panels, which is also a huge benefit as well. Yeah, and also, Benoit, you've talked about this in the past. Yuri also stresses the importance of energy storage, right, and that how this is going to be, he says, to quote, the question is not if storage will become an integral part of all utility solar projects, but when. He says most discussions around storage have been around lithium-ion batteries, which are the same batteries in your phone. If you have a Tesla, you're driving around with 7,000 to 10,000 phone batteries. So, Benoit, what are your thoughts on his assessment here? <laughs> I mean, I totally agree. I mean, this has been a recurring theme that I know I've spoken on the podcast that basically energy storage is a game changer. And once energy storage becomes economical, it's going to be huge. And then we're seeing, and I read something recently, that lithium, the cost of lithium continues to go down even with the proliferation of energy storage, electric cars and vehicles, it's exciting to see. And I don't think we're that far away where it makes economic sense. But the challenge has been state and utilities coming up with legislation to incentivize the development of storage. Especially storage has become very important as solar and wind have come online. They're very intermittent resources. So it's very important that storage comes online. But really, we need state incentives 
or in the utilities to take the initiative to give like long-term cash flow streams so that it makes sense to do the investment. And actually Massachusetts, I talked about the SMART program. They also have an incentive for solar plus storage. I know some people are confused. There and there are a lot of solar and storage projects in the queue in Massachusetts. I know some people have been confused about the complexity of that calculation, but definitely it's gonna be a game changer when you're able to store the power. And so I definitely agree with them on that point. But no, he also talks about in his article how competition is driving down the cost of capital per project, right? So he's talking about how new and more competitive investors is creating a, a marketplace for lower costs in general. What are your feelings about that? Yeah, definitely. And I totally agree with them. It's interesting. We were actually kind of talking about the same numbers. But I remember a time when big banks that weren't comfortable with solar, I remember a time when I was at Solar City. And we're educating, that's about eight years ago, where we're educating you know, big investment firms and banks, who you all know, about solar and how it's not a risky asset and how their production is pretty uniform and predictable. So it's exciting to see that there's a lot of new entrants into the market. So we're seeing like pension funds, insurance companies, and energy companies come into the market. And their cost to capital is lower than like obviously private equity firms. And what we're really seeing for the returns of the project is like an after-tax internal rate of return, unlevered, meaning there's no debt on the project, or looking at it from an unlevered perspective, a 20-year IRR of 6 to 7%. Maybe it's, I would say like it's actually what we've been seeing, 6.50 to maybe 7.50, depending on the situation. So we're seeing like returns. There was a time where like a construction ready project would be, you know, around 10 to 11%, which is a, but now you don't see that. And what's been happening is basically private equity firms are educating their investors that, hey, you can't get these double digit returns, at least for assets in the US. So you have to be more competitive. Also, what we're seeing, and I know I've talked about this before is people are getting involved earlier stage in the project where they're taking investors are taking development risk to get that higher return. I'm actually and then we're seeing a lot of international investors come in a lot from Europe. I'm actually this Friday meeting with a European investor that's looking to get in early stage and develop these projects. And they do have a double digit return requirement, but they're willing to take the risk and not get in construction ready. So it's an exciting time, at least like solar as an asset class. People have gotten very comfortable. We also think people have also gotten very aggressive right. with their pricing assumptions. Residual value, which is basically the useful life of the facility and after the contracted period, we're seeing people take more risk on what they think the back end. Let's say, for example, you have like a 20-year PPA, we're seeing people, I'm not going to say all the residual values yeah. that we're seeing, but like 10 to 20 or 30 year, wow. people are making like an assumption of some sort of residual after that, which is then helping them win projects I've heard of even longer terms, which seem unrealistic. There's a lot of money out there in the market. The challenge is there's not enough projects, good projects to fit that. And I could talk about one of our investors we worked with. We originated the relationship with the developer. They ended up bidding for the project. There were 90 bidders who bid for that project. And the, our partner, our investor, 
had the highest bid. So this is to me like pretty crazy wow. how competitive solar in a very short period of time has gotten, which is very exciting. Yeah, you were actually just at Solar Power Finance Seminar in New York City, right? And so what were some of the takeaways you got from that seminar? Yeah, so that was actually two weeks ago in New York, and it's always an interesting conference. I've already actually talked about one of the things like that was talked about a lot is like the safe harboring mm-hmm. of panels to basically meet the requirement for the investment tax credit, the 30% investment tax credit. They also talked about the impact of tariffs. They talked about structuring tax equity. And I don't know if I want to bore everyone about talking about the partnership flip model, inverted lease. (laughs) Email info (laughs) at renewenergy.com for more. Sale lease back. These are basically structures where you have a tax equity partner in the structure so that they could take advantage of the tax incentives and then you as the investor or developer, or if you're both, could then own the project. So it was definitely a very interesting conference. It was great to catch up with a lot of people that I didn't see in a long time. But one of the panels that I actually found really interesting, it was called Leveraging Qualified Opportunity Zones to Improve Returns on Renewables. And basically, in the tax code, President Trump made some major changes to the tax code. The one that everyone knows about is obviously lowering the corporate tax rate. But there was also a program called the Opportunity Zone Program, which was added to the tax code on December 22nd of 2017. Basically, opportunity zones are economically distressed communities where new investments under certain conditions may be eligible for preferential tax treatment. And the benefits, just really at high level, I don't want to put people <laughs> to sleep here, and I could talk extensively about this, is deferral of capital gains, a step up in basis, a permanent exclusion from income. So there's a lot of potential benefits. It's obviously very complicated to structure. And I've actually been getting a lot of these questions from real estate developers because they're looking to develop buildings in these opportunity zones and they're like, what about we pull in the solar as well while we're developing it? So it's definitely something you know other developers and investors should be looking into. And I thought that was an interesting part of the conference. Obviously happy to talk into more detail like offline because I could go on and on and talk about. But really, I feel like right now people are still trying to figure it out. And they're looking for the IRS to provide guidance on some of these things that I talked about. But I think it could be a potential opportunity. It's a lot more complicated, it seems, than like sourcing and structuring tax equity, which now we as an industry have been pretty comfortable with. But it's definitely something that everyone should potentially pay attention to if you're a developer and investor in the industry. All right, great. Well, uh, well, we know you're heading to California next week, so... Benoit, give the listeners a sense of what you'll be doing there. Yeah, definitely. So we have an office in San Diego, California. So Renew Energy, we're basically a developer of projects involved in solar, but we're obviously looking at storage as well. We've been predominantly focused in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. There's a big conference, actually, which is a great conference that Infocast has, Solar Power and Investment Conference, which is next week. I'm sure I'll have a lot of interesting insights from after the conference, but I think it's like after SPI, Solar Power International, like the second best conference, especially in the finance community. It's a smaller event. Everyone kind of gets to know you as well, and it's a great way of meeting a lot of new people. So I'm excited to go out there, and then I'll also be there a little bit afterwards with meetings and things like that. 
All right. Well, that takes us up to the wrap and we'll see you next time. As always, feel free to get in touch at info at renewenergy.com. That's R-E-N-E-U energy.com. Thank you. We really appreciate you listening, Mavericks, and talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. 